Welcome to episode one of The Slide Area, a podcast dedicated to all things slide guitar. I'm your host, Ed Pedersen, and over the coming weeks, we'll be talking to some of the greats of modern slide guitar, bottleneck, lap steel, pedal steel, Indian. We're going to try to cover it all. This all stems from a book that I started writing about a year ago. Uh, I got obsessed with slide guitar after 25 years in the music business, and I dedicated myself to trying to get really good at it. And we all know that's a precarious proposition. It's not easy. Um, however, it's great that we have a lot of uh, video instruction out there now that's available that wasn't available in the past. However, I felt there were some gaps and questions I still had that I needed answered so that I could progress. And that's when I decided to start writing this book and conduct these interviews. And I realized I was learning so much from these interviews, from talking to these great players and artists, that it was transforming my playing and my understanding, my perspective, my style, my technique. So I wanted to share it with you all and pass it along and not wait until the book is finished, which should be sometime next year in 2017, and let you hear these interviews that I've conducted over the past year with these great, great slide players. So that's why we're here. I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to your comments feedback, questions, through my website, edpetterson.com. That's two T's, all E's in Pedersen. And I'll be happy to hear from you, and I'll try to incorporate your uh, feedback into future episodes. If you have any questions, I'll try to get those answered, if it's from some of the people that we're interviewing. This episode, episode one, our inaugural episode, starts at what I feel is the beginning, not the beginning of slide guitar, of course, but the beginning of slide guitar instruction in the modern era. Arlen Roth wrote his first instructional slide book at age 19. Since then, he's played with a who's who of modern music. I was very fortunate to get Arlen to be my first interview for the book and thus our first podcast. So sit back and let's talk to the marvelous Arlen Roth. So my first question is, so you, you pick up the guitar, what? You're a kid, right? Um, mm-hmm. How old are you? Well, I, I started picking up the guitar, uh, the slide guitar, when I was eight. When you were eight, because, okay. Yeah, because I used to, I, used to uh, I mean, the first, my first memories of the guitar were that we had a Stella in the house that only had two strings that my brother bought in college. And four strings broke. And he just kept it with like, I think there was an E and a B string on it. And so I used to take my mother's lipstick cover and sit it on my lap and play it slide like that. Now, I'm thinking that that must have come from television, like watching either Alvino Ray or seeing maybe like Santo and Johnny. Right. Who, you know, I recently played with Johnny Farina. We did some gigs together. Playing Sleepwalk, of course. <laughs> that sounds um, so great. Sleepwalk and and the most out of tune rumble in history. Um, <laughs> actually made, made uh, Link Ray sound in tune, but um, <laughs> but we're doing that on on you know Hawaiian guitar and it's like oh my god, but um, but the um, yeah so that's my earliest recollection of slide, and then I was also playing violin at the time. 
Oh. And then I switched over to guitar, like full steam ahead when I was 10, because my father, who was a famous New Yorker cartoonist, Al Ross, and he, uh, he just, he saw it right away in me. He said, look, I just, I just see you playing the guitar. I see what you're picking up by ear and that you should just forget about the violin. It's too strict. Right. And because he was of that same kind of school, you know, just like went out into real life and started to become an artist and a cartoonist and everything and just made it on his own. So he uh, encouraged me and my mother did too. And, you know, I, I just started taking off. I mean, when I finally got my deal to do the slide guitar book, um, I was like even asking myself, like, how is it that I know all these things? How is it that I'm getting all the right tone, all the right, you know, the ability to isolate strings uh, and understand, you know, the concept behind the difference between dust my broom and, you know, come on in my kitchen, whatever it was. I, all I needed to do was hear something once and I had it, you know. So, so, was, so in yeah. a sense, so in a sense, um, you played... Uh, 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 you know, for lack of a better term, an open tuning before you actually yes. went to standard guitar. No, I would no. Uh, I played with two strings right. before I played standard guitar. Right. But I would tune the two strings so that they were in harmony with each other. Oh, okay, um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But, yeah. but, but then I went to classical guitar because my father was a big fan of flamenco. Right. So I wanted to, I wanted, there was nobody, nobody was teaching flamenco guitar, so I would uh, take a couple of slide lessons, and then the minute I bought an electric guitar, she kicked me out, you know, and uh, I was like no longer allowed to uh, study with her, and plus she adopted some kids, two kids, and whatever. So I just, then I was off on my own learning, I was about 11 or 12, and <clears throat> slide guitar just, it came to me naturally because I was just aware that that was a way that you could make great sounds on the instrument. And so when I talk about that, I wrote slide guitar when I was 19, I was saying to myself, well, how do I know all this? You know, right. but by that point, I'd already been playing guitar nine years um, and was inspired by people like Sunhouse, Mike Bloomfield, you know, BB King, Buddy Guy, uh, all, all these guys and Robert Johnson and a lot of people who um, who had that those various sounds. So I was like picking up on all that, and um, you know it was, it was it was I had to analyze what it was that I was already doing, so I could teach, so I could teach it and pass it on because I I nobody showed me anything. Right. You know? I had nobody to show me anything. It was just what I could hear and how I could pick up on the fact that there was an open tuning. So, so with the tunings that you then, you know, adopted for your own before you wrote the book and after the book, were those the tunings that you heard on the Sun House? And, and yes. yes. So those are the, those yeah, are the two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'd hear them. I hear them maybe play an open chord I'll play a few notes in a row and I'd realize, okay, that's, I'd, I'd analyze it and I'd tune the guitar to an E or I'd tune the guitar to a G 
you know? Right. And that was pretty much <laughs> what everything was back then, was, you know. Right. What I loved about e-tuning was it was very close to regular guitar. You could really picture it. You know, you could picture how an E chord, an E chord position would alter your licks. And, of course, it brings everything up into a harmony. Right. Right. You know? Right. And being a fingerstyle guy already, starting with classical and the idea of keeping a bass, you know, keeping your thumb dedicated to bass, right away I could start to play fingerstyle slide. Right. You know, and that seems to be... Like for me, I started playing or like the, for my first influence was flamenco as well. So it seems to oh. me, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Spanish guitars of Lorendo Almeida were, was the only album we had. That's fantastic. I had like Sabicas Montoya and Manitas <laughs> de Plata. You know? And also a lot of guys who were unknown because my dad had these rare recordings that were street recordings in from Spain where... I remember it was just a blank orange cover, and you'd hear the, it recorded on the street, you know, with people dancing and singing and playing, uh, but just like like actually just in public, you know. Yeah, right. And I would love listening to those records. It was, it was so much fire and passion, you And know? it seems to me, I mean, you know, so, uh, open tuning being like referred to as, you know, um, Spanish tuning in some cases... Um, uh, but you know, it seems, I think so, you know, and I, I mean, think Spanish tuning, Spanish tuning is normal tuning. Like what we consider, you know, regular guitar, that's considered Spanish guitar tuning. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, but you know, finger style seems to like, so it just seems to resonate to, from my studies that that seems to be where it's at for slide curiously so whether or Absolutely. not yeah so whether or not you've come from a flamenco or finger style man you better learn it pretty fast if you're taking up slide yeah well that's why i'm saying you know at the age of 11 i already had that good separation of thumb and fingers and it was years before i ever picked up a pick for anything now did so, you did, did you yeah. did, did i'm sorry go ahead Oh, I was going to ask. So, so <clears throat> well. So, were you were you cognizant of the fact that you needed to raise your action a little bit at that at that young an age, and and um, you know, like what type of slides were you using? Uh, I always used metal, um, and I always used uh, once I discovered brass. I always like to use heavy brass. Uh, to me, it was like the heavier. The truth of the matter is, is the heavier the slide, the lower you can keep your action, because then the slide requires no pressing. Uh, it just carries its own tone and its own weight. Right. If you were to have a thin slide, say made of glass, which has no tone anyway, right? You'd, you'd have to literally press down to get. Uh, a note that would not have any string buzz, but then you'd be getting fret buzz. So uh, another thing that I've discovered is that when you have a guitar, say a fairly normal action, and I've always liked guitars with a slightly higher action mm -hmm. because I bend a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had any problem with taking a guitar that I use as a regular guitar, and if I tune up to an E chord, well, right away, the strings become more brittle. And 
you're actually, in a way, slightly bowing the neck. You're creating less buzz in your lower position because now those strings are tighter. Right. If you if you tune all, that whole tuning down to D, it's still the same configuration, but it's D. But then it gets to be really what I call sloppy because it starts buzzing all over the place. And I remember saying this to Ry Cooter when we were in the studio uh, making Crossroads, and he said, I don't want to hear any more about that sloppy D tuning, you know? Because <laughs> I was saying, this D tuning is too sloppy for me. <laughs> you know, because that that's when you really need to raise your action and get thicker strings because you're now working below pitch, below standard, you know, Spanish yeah. pitch. This is what I'm so, saying. Yes. yes. Yeah, so then you're really going to get sloppy. And God forbid if you start to try to play in standard tuning, uh, it's going to be awful. So, But I kept telling Rye, I said, this is uh, this is surprising me. Because I think I was playing like a Telecaster or something in the studio. And, you know, he had all these other guitars that were set up for like super high action. And, you know, Slide was the, the only name of the game. Right. Uh but I had to play in a scene where I was going from slide to then classical. So I essentially had to go from slide to standard. And of course, with the magic of film, right. uh, you know, you can make, you can pull that off. But um, that was, that was the I, curious yeah. thing about that film to me. You know, it's like, it, 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 like the, the, when I found out that you played all those parts, right? Right, I, I, right. I freaked out because... You know, here's a film based around, like, at least the myth of Slide and the blues. And it ends up in this neoclassical battle, you know? Right, which is all a lot of crap. I mean, the, the original, the, and I found the original duel that we were working out. I found the cassette of me and Rye playing the ending the way it was supposed to be, according to the script which was just a blues slide duel to the death. Right. And then I was supposed to come up with a couple of, you know, classical licks that were supposed to kind of throw him because I was little Eugene, classically trained prodigy. But of course, they, they wanted it to be the karate kid on guitar. <laughs> so they had to get Steve I in there as the, as the bad guy and all this stuff. And what got Rye really upset, I mean, you know, you can get this from Rye, not from me, but... Um, what got Rye upset was when he found out that he wasn't going to be that visual part in the movie because he was going to be Jack Butler, oh. and he was, and the ending, the end scene was just going to be slide versus slide. None, huh. none of this classical heavy metal crap, you know. <laughs> so, so then all of a sudden, and Steve Rye's a great guy, and we became great friends as a result of it. But it was a 100% last-minute decision. I mean, they brought him in at the last second. Interesting. But it still is mind-blowing that the that that you, this guy, did that these parts. Like, well, I didn't do no. That's that. You've got several guitar players playing at the end there. Right. In fact, a lot of the things that Steve I you think is playing is actually Bill Cannon Geyser from the L.A. Guitar Quartet who played all the classical guitar in the movie. Oh. So what they did was they put an electric guitar in his hands and he was joking with me. He said, Arlen, I've never played uh, an electric guitar before. And 
so he played the all that stuff, and um, they then they sped up the tape, oh. and they sped up the tape, and then they put in all these overdubs and harmonies, and oh poor guy, he can't reach the highest note at the end. That's why he loses. I said, this is not a trumpet movie, you know. It's not about hitting the highest note. It's like, it's like it's not the honeymooners, you know. Like one of these days, Alice, I'm going to hit that highest note. But it was like I always said, it's not a trumpet film. It's a guitar film. But it, you know, that's when it really went into schlock, right? Where it was like Hollywood saying, we don't really care about this wonderful folkloric movie about the blues. Uh, it's just going to end up being whatever we want it to be. And I told them right to their faces that they were doing the wrong thing and that they were dating the movie. I said, you're yeah. dating the movie with something that to me is already passe, which is like mid-80s heavy metal. Right. You know? right. So how could you bring in somebody like that? This was slide. You know, this was blues. This is set in Mississippi, you know? And uh, Fascinating. so, but whatever. But that was that was very frustrating to me, and very frustrating to Ry Cooter as well. However, it got you a shitload of attention, which deservedly so. And oh yeah, it got me lots of attention because I did all the work on the film, and I worked all that stuff with Ralph Macchio. And there were even a lot of scenes where I, you know, I just had to come up with stuff on the spot because the director Walter Hill would say. You know, I want him to play here. I would love him to play while he's talking. Or I'd like him to just kind of stop and pick up the guitar in the pawn shop and play. So I'd, I'd come up with something right on the spur of the moment because I had already taught Ralph enough so I knew what I could play that he could fake. Right. So I knew his parameter of what he could do. You know, and I would, you know, because some of those scenes I directed... And I would be there saying, cut. And he'd say, I know all and I missed the B string, you know, <laughs> like that. And because uh, Ralph really wanted to be a very convincing guitar player. I worked with him for two, two months, four days a week, um, all the way up until we started shooting the film. So they wanted to, Walter Hill said to me, I want him to walk on the set a guitar player. And Ralph at that point was believing he would actually be playing the parts, you know, himself. But he was—he could never get that good that fast. Yeah, no. That's but, uh, that, see, that's the whole purpose of the book, right? And all and all of your 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 videos and stuff. I mean, this this is—I got to tell you, man, this is one of the toughest things to do it really, really right. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, really, like you know, my bandmate, you know, he he's. Yeah, he got a gig playing as a sideman with this other singer-songwriter girl. And he's like, hey, man, you know, can I borrow one of your slides? Because there's this one thing. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't know, dude. I'm like, you know, I'll give you a couple slides to try. But, like, it's not just about, like, playing parts. You know, you got intonation. You got the vibrato properly, you know, you got like, sure. which pickups are you using? Or, you know, is the guitar set up for it? And, and then he was like, what, you know, I'll just play it in standard. And then like a week later he came back and was like, Oh shit. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, I was astonished. I remember one time being in a crowd of about 70,000 people watching the Rolling Stones and there's Ron Wood up there 
playing uh, slide on a strat and he's fretting out on every note. Right. He's buzzing out. I said, come on, man, look, you're making all this money, you're in front of all these people and you can't have a guitar up there that's going to give you the real, the really right tone with a slide, you're just going to buzz away? Yeah. I mean, I felt, I felt really cheated, you know, I said, he's, I should be up there, you know, not him. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, this is the thing, it's like, so, you know, it's how much do you care, you know? Um, That's, it, it, yeah. The, the most important thing in slide guitar, without question, is the combination of, and now I'm talking technique, Right. is a combination of how much or how little of the slide you use, but more importantly, how you manipulate the slide, right? right. And then, how you use your thumb as a muting and dampening tool and the fingers that played the notes. You should be able, for example, to pick up the guitar and immediately slide on only the B string. Like, say, I'm just gonna attack a note on the B string. Now, what happens when you do that is you're playing the B string with your middle finger. Your ring finger is already muting the high E. Your index finger is muting the G string and your thumb is muting the low E, A, and D strings. Right. So you are isol you're immediately grabbing the guitar and and it's more important about what you're not playing than what you're playing. Because you're you know, gonna get you're stopping five strings. You're stopping five strings so you can let one ring. Yeah, because, you know, that's the one that you're right. That's the biggest mistake I see with most cats is, you know, you can you, if you're a good guitar player. Sure. You know, after a while, you can make some noise. And but, you know, damping behind the slide is is kind of rudimentary, really, when you think about it. Um, well, the damping behind the slide is that's just OK. You let the finger drag. Yeah. But And of course, Sonny Landreth has made an art form of of not doing that and lifting up that finger and playing behind the slide and creating his echo effect and all that stuff. But the most important thing is the right hand and what the right hand is doing to eliminate or coordinate, you know, or harmonize certain strings. Um, and that's critical. And that has to come just with experience. You know, I had to take that style apart so I could write my book and so I could teach people privately. Okay. I mean, you can imagine in New York City when I would advertise uh, in the early 70s that I'm giving slide lessons. Well, I would throw that in, like guitar lessons, blues, country, blah, 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 slide guitar. Oh, everybody would call because I said slide guitar. Because <laughs> there was nobody in the world teaching it. Right. You know? <laughs> and um, so I... Uh, I got to the point where I really understood that blocking and damping and muting and what I call isolating strings. You know, like for example, when you're, you're manipulating the slide and you want to get down to the low E string, mm -hmm. well, you have to arc over and only touch that E string. You know, now the other five strings are, are uh, they're free to ring because you may want to play them in harmony to it, you know. But if you if you cover all six strings, you're creating a big problem. You're creating all these notes that you're going to have to eliminate. Um, so yeah. You have to be very careful to use only as much of the slide as you need. If I'm playing just the top two strings, like the B and E, mm -hmm. I'm just using that much of the slide. 
about uh, a little bit under a half an inch of the slide, and that's it. And do you, is your slide like uh, is how much is it a regular size like uh, um like you you can buy this slide anywhere? It's a general kind of or is... not really. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit. The ones that they sell, although I know there's a lot more variety available now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, the closest I've ever seen is just the regular Ernie Ball, not Ernie Ball, um, Dunlop, Jim Dunlop slide. That big, heavy brass one he sells. Yeah, but that's a little bit too big for me. Uh, for me, I play it on the pinky. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to feel, you have to see the pinky come up at the end a little bit so it could sense the end of the slide. Right. So if I reach down for the low E, or say I want to play the D string in the middle of the neck, you know, I've got to be able to have that finger sensing where the end of the slide is because I can't rely just on visuals. I have to rely on, on, you know, the touch, the touch of it. And knowing um, where that edge is... So that you can just what? hit, and knowing where that, you feel, the pinky can feel where, yeah, the, edge where is. the edge is. Because the pinky is slightly touching, slightly curving inside the slide, so it touches the end of that. So the slide shouldn't be too tight on your finger. There should be a little bit of play, because you don't have to worry, you know, gravity is always going to take care of the of keeping the slide on your hand, even right. if it's. If you're if it's rattling around on you, you know, uh, it'll never fall down. So, and how uh, how it, heavy it, is it? Like, is it? Uh, do you make this yourself? Is this? Uh, I got mine from. Um, well, the first good one I ever got was, which I still have, was made by Mighty Might mm-hmm. back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And Mighty Might used to make brass everything, brass bridges, brass nuts, just anything out of brass. Okay. And I bought this triple O eighteen, this nineteen thirty nine triple O eighteen from uh, Westwood Music in Santa Monica. When I was playing with Ry- I playing with uh, uh, John Prime, and it turned out that it was Ry Cooter's guitar. Oh. It was Ry Cooter's first three albums were all on that guitar, so. Uh, that's how we first got in contact, me and him, because uh, I wanted to ask him a few questions about the guitar and whatnot, plus I was a fan of his, etc. Sure. And so that store, they said, this will be a great slide for you, get this Mighty Might. And it's an amazing slide, because I've, I've left it in about seven different places around the world, and it always comes back to me, like people <laughs> always send it back to me. Um, but I use now one that's even better than that, that was made for me by the Mackenzie String Puller Company in Scotland. And Ooh. they put my autograph on it, my signature. And it's the perfect size, the perfect weight. Everything about it is just perfect. And that is the go-to slide. The Mighty Might feels kind of small uh, next to that one. And you told them specifically your requirements like for it, you know, like they measured um, and... I don't remember. I don't think I really did. I think they just somehow knew what I wanted. Huh. You know, they, they were these great guys from Scotland who made me um, this this amazing pedal steel device for a Telecaster where you have three pedals on the floor where you're pulling three strings, you know? Huh. And so what the way I, if I ever use it, which I don't use it too much, but I 
course, I do all my bending with my fingers, but it can do bends that I couldn't possibly do with my fingers. <laughs> Guys come up to me and they go, now you're pulling four strings with that. I said, no, I'm pulling three strings with my left hand, and that is pulling the one note that I can't pull with my fingers. So I'm adding to my bending with that puller. So they created that because they wanted to actually create a real pedal steel uh, within a Telecaster, you know, and, or, or a Strat. And, um, but I, you know, I just use it as an adjunct to slide playing or regular playing as well. It's, it's great because you have some strings that get bent up and some that get bent uh, down. Right. You know, some that... So it's good for contrary motion, and all that, but that's, that's a whole different thing. That's well, well, you know, let me ask you this then. So, um, you know, when you figure this all out and, and the string damping, I totally agree because that's a thing that Sonny gets into um, where, yeah. you know, Sonny's real big on the that any string that's not being played has got to be damped by a finger in front. Absolutely, right. you have to. Right. Sure. Right, but you know what? Guess what, man? There's not a lot of people professing that, right? So that's why a lot of people, when I give a clinic and I say, how many of you have tried slide guitar? And everybody raises their hand. And I say, how many people are still doing it? And you'll see like two shy hands come up. Right. Because they all gave up. And I say, I know why you all gave mm -hmm. up. Because you're not doing any dampening. I said, number one, tune the guitar to an open E chord and just start wailing away on it, just flail away. And you'll be amazed that you already sound good. You know, you already sound like Elmore James doing Dust My Broom, you know? And then you, which by the way, Johnny Winter did that on my album now. It's the last, I'm sorry, that was Leroy Cornell. Johnny Winter did Rocket 88 with me. It's the last thing he ever recorded. No. On my album. Wow. So that's the last track he ever recorded. <clears throat> Amazing. So, so, you know, and the album is, of course, dedicated to him. But um, the I say, look, just start off that way. Understand that you can make all this wonderful music because you now have a chord at every fret, right? And then if you start feeling like it, you're going to start refining that. You're going to start picking out individual notes, you know? And when I did my video with Mick Taylor... You might see some of those clips on YouTube where I'm talking to him, mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm amazed because I don't realize he's actually using standard tuning, and he's playing with a pick, which are the two biggest taboos of all time with slide. Standard tuning with a pick. <laughs> but he's able to, like, block out and damp because he's dampening with the knuckles on his right hand as he comes down, right. you know? Uh, and then he also plays in open tunings with me, and uh, sounds pretty good that way too. But again, still using a flat pick, still using a flat pick. So it was mm. like bizarre, mm. you know. But I, I was like, so there's an interesting kind of back and forth thing there with me and him discussing kind of like the pros and cons of, you know, what do you do? Where do these licks come from? Mm -hmm. And what do your hands do? You know, like I'm, I'm trying to be the interviewer, of course. Right. But at the same time, you know, she was so scared. I'm trying to be the interviewer. Well, at the same time, I'm also trying to hit people to the way this stuff really needs to be done. 
Well, well, let you know? me let me ask you this. <clears throat> um, do you uh, two questions? Do you use a thumb pick ever, or just your thumb? No, no. Just your thumb. Just my thumb. Okay. And the idea of the thumb is that you know when you play, say I'm playing a shuffle beat on the low E string. With each stroke, I'm landing on the A, like an accent stroke where you rest on the A string. That does two things, actually three things. It controls your action so you keep perfect time because you keep going the same distance. And even if you want to play louder, you just dig into the E harder, but you don't flail away. You land on that A string. The A string keeps you there. And what's the third wonderful thing it does? The A string is being eliminated. Right. The A string is being dampened. <clears throat> right. Every time we make a sound on the guitar, we sh we are usually stopping some other sound. Right. And that's what's the critical thing. Every note is playing two roles and has two sensations: sensation of being played, and also the sensation of a note that you are stopping from being played. That's the thing to remember. It, but yeah, you have to do it though in a way where you don't get overly conscious of right, it. Right. You know, don't don't be overly conscious of okay, I'm going to dampen and dampen and dampen. The idea is you have to think, how am I going to play clean? How do I get the cleanest sound out of that one note? How do I get it? Oh, it happened. My fingers did this. Oh, great! Because your fingers have an amazing ability to kind of think and work together for a common goal. Right. And that common goal is to get a nice, clean tone. And then if you want to be dirty and messy and sloppy, then you can release more strings. You could deliberately be sloppy, you know. Um, and this applies really to any kind of finger-style guitar. Right. Now, how, how, how long did you have to practice... Not only the the picking part of it, but the damping with your right hand part to get it down. Uh, there was never a problem. It was it was it was right right from the get go. Huh. I don't remember ever there being a, a a a period of like frustration of like, gee, how am I going to get that? What am I going to do? You know, how do I get that sound? I just did it, right. and I just happened to do it right. It made sense to you, know? you. right? Right. It made sense to me, and I think it became because of that. It came because of that very, very first initial few classical lessons that taught me the respect for, you know, she'd be like, pick the strings, now come down and stop them. Come up, come down, come up, come down. And where your fingers get used to where they should be without even having to look at the strings. Right. It gave me a great respect for that. I mean, I could see wanting to get into thumb picks because I just got this amazing uh, big Forlini um, guitar, uh, old Red Belly Stella type guitar, right, right. 12 string, that's just a monster. And you could tell that uh, I would really, you really need a pick to get the edge on the lower notes, you right. know. Uh, so I might, I might try some thumb pick playing with that guitar, but a thumb pick does take away a little bit of your dampening and muting ability unless you learn to kind of like now change your style slightly. Well, let me let me ask you, I got just a couple of more technical questions. So, so you, are you still using a telly, right? Is that your main Did you hear me say that again? A 
Telecaster? Yeah, yeah Telecaster was my main uh, kind of guitar, and uh, now I have a wonderful signature model okay. that's coming out on Delaney guitars. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mike, Delaney, Mike Delaney is building me a kind of like definitive, uh, it's more like a Telecaster Strat combo. Oh, perfect. And because most of my guitars end up being that, if they if they're signature guitars, they usually have three pickups, so I can get the Tele Strat, and sometimes the Les Paul combinations where I can pull up on a knob and get a couple of uh, pickups in series, so they become like a giant humbucker tone. Because mm -hmm. I, I I don't like to change guitars too often. Yeah. Um, on stage. Mark Simon is building me a beautiful, you know, Mark Simon is the one that created the Terraplane guitar with me. Right. You know, uh, that, that resonated guitar I play. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's got a lot of patents on it and a lot of things I, I really helped him design the guitar and he made some for me, he made some for Cindy, he made one for Johnny Winter, and he made one for Sonny Landreth and that's pretty much the only people that have them. Oh, sweet. So the one for Cindy and the one for Sonny was a smaller body, like Johnny Winters, and it's got all this beautiful engine turning on it. And it's, um, I said, boy, I really want one like that. You know, I like the fact that it's smaller and more compact and still got the big tone. Um, because the big hollow ones tend to want to feed back. Right. But he's making a, a mahogany one now, and he's going to call it the Arlenator. <laughs> so uh, he, you know, he's building me like a, a definitive slide guitar for live performance and um, stuff. So I'm excited about that. That's, now, and what you you don't so you, I think you answered this question, but you don't have any particular preference of any particular pickup, then, right? You're switching between all three often, or? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I love I love Jason Lawler's right now in terms of the brand of pickup. Mm -hmm. I, he's really my man. He makes me a lot of great uh, custom pickups for me for all different kinds of guitars. Um, but you're not and, partial um, to bridge, middle, or neck or anything. You're switching between them, like yeah, all, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get tired. I get tired of that bridge only. Yeah. Uh, sound, you know. I also love an overdriven and maybe not so overdriven neck pickup, you know, or the combination of neck and middle, or middle and bridge. Yep. You know. Yep. So, yep. And what about amps? I, I like to avoid. I, I like to avoid any distortion pedals or anything like that. Okay, so no pedals really, right? Like no, no. no. So the, the reverb is from the amp. If you have, ever, if you ever, you, do you ever use tremolo or anything? And that would, oh, of course, all the time. And that's the you amp. To my album, there's the tremolo all the time. That's what I especially thought. Especially on, especially on um, uh, the second guitar part, you know, like the rhythm, the rhythm or finger style part behind the lead, like the arpeggiated uh, you know, stuff. A lot of tremolo. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, a lot of baritone too. A lot of baritone that's doubling those parts or um you know like it'll be like a combination of like maybe a gill Dwayne eddy with a with a baritone guitar underneath that very subliminal i'll use it subliminally or i'll double an acoustic guitar part with a baritone that's fretted that's um capoed right right so you're getting thicker strings 
playing the same voicings. Interesting. So it's the second part that's got the tr- that tremolo, and that's coming from the amp. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. And what and what what gauge yeah. strings are you using basically? On a normal guitar, I'm just going from ten to forty six. But sometimes I'll use 11s if the guitar is really just going to be used for slide. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's going to be a guitar that's going to be slacking, like where I'm going to be playing in, you know, dr- everything dropped down to D. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah, so, D, uh, D can get floppy, man. You know, it can get a little floppy. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Well, don't say that to Ry Cooley. He'll be like, I don't want to hear any more about that floppy <laughs> detuning. <laughs> And what about amps? What are, what's your favorite amps for slide? Oh, I got some great amps. Well, I mean, I've got, I don't have a lot of amps, but I have just like some really choice, uh, choice ones. I've got, I like using little amps. I've got this wonderful Ampeg um, a Jet 2, which has, it's just a little blue Ampeg with a with one twelve inch speaker. Um, my favorite amp of all time is my 65 Deluxe Reverb, which I've had since about 1969. Wow. I have uh, a beautiful uh, silver-faced Princeton that I love. I'll often play that Princeton in combination with the Ampeg, uh, so I kind of cover the high end and the low end. So you'll play in stereo? And you'll split it in stereo? I won't split it. I'll just play them in series. Ah. I just connect one to the other. Oh, cool. Yeah, I don't split them. I don't get... That's too technical for me. <laughs> um, but And then you get into phasing and all that stuff. Right. But I I love... Um, also, I have... Um, probably my best amp tone-wise is this um, 58 Tremolux I have. Ah. It's the woodiest sounding amp. If you listen to my version of Sweet Little 16 with Levon... That's one of my all-time favorite solos on there, and it's so thick and woody. It's like you almost wonder if the if it's the amp that you're hearing more than the guitar. You know what I mean? Uh, and that amp has the most definitive tremolo, just the sweetest, warmest tremolo. Of course, the tremolo seems to be different with different amps, you know? Right. Yeah. And I just got a wonderful, a 61 Deluxe, a brown Deluxe, that's literally new old stock. That is like, the guitar looks like it's never, nobody ever took the cover off of it even. Wow. And that that guitar is astounding. And I have some other extraneous stuff, like I have um, a um, one of those blue-faced uh, Supra, well, it's actually a National. Of course, it's made by Supro, but it's a National. I remember Ry Cooter, I got that while we were making the movie um, when me and Kudu were making a movie and he was like, that amp is the blues. He's like, don't stop playing that amp. Don't stop using that amp. So I was using that amp on a lot of stuff that we played on Crossroads. And um, that was phenomenal. And, you know, other stuff, like I have a Supro with the amp in the case. That's like the Dan Electro with the amp oh, in the case. Yeah, the airline. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's killer, killer tone. And I like those little short-scale Supro guitars that are they're perfectly set up for slide guitar. They have that nice flat string height, you know, like there's no, it's just straight from the nut to the bridge. This is a straight line. Right. Um, 
And those are really basically my, uh, that's my amp arsenal. I like to use those. And um, they all kind of distort and break up at different times with different outcomes and different kind of, you know, clean sound or gritty sound. And, you know, if I had the luxury of doing my own sessions for my own album, I come in with a lot of stuff to choose from. Right. You know, I'll come in with maybe like four amps and 12 guitars and a mandolin and a 12 string and a this and a that. You know, I like to have all the textures available at my uh, disposal. But uh, one thing I have noticed with slide guitar is that a lot of the recordings that you hear on my albums, even the ones where I replaced parts uh, on this new slide summit, I'll end up using a lap steel because the lap steel gives me the, the purest a tone, pure slide attack. Yep. You know? Yep. You can re and you can, I like to tilt and angle the slide for different chords and different harmonies. And the, uh, the lap steel just gives you that opportunity more. Um, I was just going to ask you that. What? <laughs> I was just going to ask you about lap steel. Yeah, that's why I use it all the time. I have like an Epiphone, a 1930s Epiphone Electar. Uh, and when I was doing the slide summit, and I met Jack Pearson for the first time, and we played, and then we went out to dinner. He's like, I got something in my car for you, Arlen. And I said, what? And I figure he's gonna give me a slide, or a pick, or something, or an album. He opens up the, the, the car, and he gives me an Epiphone lap steel from the early 40s. Just Whoa. gives it to me, as a gift. Whoa. As a, as a thank you for having him on the album. Jesus. And I said, oh my God, that is so sweet. And what a guitar I mean, it is beautiful beautiful epiphone and uh it looks like it's never been played he said i've had this thing lying around so long that i just figured it belongs in your hands you should be making music with this you know so he was really <laughs> nice to, to do that <laughs> nobody's ever done that for, with me you know That's not, not, not a fellow professional musician right know? right Oh man! So That's I use awesome. that, and I have like an, a, a Gibson um, EH150. Um, you know, that's that nice with the Charlie Christian pickup. Yeah, and I have a, a couple of Nationals, uh, the Art Deco type Nationals from the '40s, uh, like that. And I have a, one of the early, really early Rickenbackers, uh, where the whole guitar is that. Bakelite, you know? Yeah. And and it's got the matching amp to Rickenbacker when it was still spelled B A C H E R, you know? <laughs> um, before he had to de Germanize it, you know? <laughs> yeah, tell and, me about uh, it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, I mean, hey, listen, so, you know. Rickenbacker. <laughs> so, I have that Rickenbacker, which I love. I love that sound. Um, and I also have one of these guitars where the. A Supro or airline pickup assembly is installed into the face of it. Oh, wow. And I use that for slide a lot. And you've got some, like, obviously you've got some, like, national steels laying around, you know, resonators or something. Oh, I've got lots of national steels. Of I, I've even sold a few in the last couple of years, but I got a nice, I have two 12 fret ones, um, one. I'm sorry, one 12 fret one, two 14 fret ones. And I really like the 14 fret models. And I also have um, a beautiful 31 
tricone uh, style two and a half that I got from the original owner, who was a woman who played Hawaiian guitar in Chinese restaurants back in the 1930s. Wow. And and I got that from her, including pictures of her playing it in the in wearing Hawaiian lays and the whole thing. Fantastic. And that's, mint. that's got the, all the engraved, you know, flowers around it and stuff. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Listen, man, I can't tell you, you know, you've influenced me immensely over the years. I mean, I, you know, the hot Thank lick, you. just with the hot licks alone, but that's just the sure. beginning. I mean, I, it's such sure. an honor for me to talk to you, man. I'm so grateful that you could spend oh, this time. Great, man. Dude, I mean, I can't tell you how much this means to me. And to be able to open the book with you is just a joy. So that was Arlen Roth on slide guitar here on the slide area. Again, Arlen's got a new record, Slide Guitar Summit, as you heard him talk about. He's got some amazing guest stars, a who's who of modern slide guitar on there. So look for it online and go to ArlenRoth.com and his website and reach out to him if you have any questions. If you have any questions for me or for any of the artists I talk to on this podcast or feedback comments, pass them along. Glad to hear it. <laughs> it's edpetterson.com, two T's, all E's. And um, we'll try to get those questions answered, the feedback incorporated into future episodes. On our next episode, I'll be talking to my very dear friend, the fantastic Al Perkins. Al has also played with a who's who of modern music, and I've had the great fortune to play with him in Nashville for 14 years on various projects, but it wasn't until I sat down with him and started asking him about slide guitar playing and technique that I learned things I never knew about the man. And he's an extremely generous, kind, wonderful human being as well. He's one of my favorite people in the world. So next time on the slide area, Al Perkins. I hope you'll join us. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll stick with us and pass the word to your friends, to your slide fanatics and addicts. We'll see you next time on the slide area. This is Ed Pedersen. See you then.